Hello and welcome to the Buffy and the Art of Story podcast season five. Today we're talking about season five, episode 18, Intervention, where Buffy searches for meaning, glory, grills, spike, and the Scoobies meet the Buffy bot. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart, you're in the right place place. Along with a breakdown of the episode, I'll talk about how the plot about Glory and Spike's subplot about his feelings for Buffy intersect through the Buffy bot, why Glory feels ineffective as a villain in the season to date and especially in intervention, what the Buffy bot highlights about Buffy's character and her subplot of seeking answers about her role as the Slayer, and how Intervention sets up Tough Love and Season 6. I'll talk about that when we get to the foreshadowing section. There will be no spoilers until we reach that part of the podcast. I am Lisa M. Lilly, mystery and thriller author, story expert, and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com, where you can learn more about fiction writing, publishing, and book marketing. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. Intervention aired the first time on April 24, 2001. It was directed by Michael Gershman and written by Jane Espenson. It starts, as every good story should, with opening conflict. That's conflict to draw the reader into the story, whether or not it relates to the main plot. Here, through some minor conflict, we catch the audience up on what's been happening in Buffy's life. Giles and Buffy are at the kitchen sink, and Buffy tells Giles he doesn't have to do the dishes he already cooked, but he says he likes being useful. Dawn then suggests he clean out the garage Saturday. He can feel indispensable. Buffy tells Dawn to go get her dishes from her room before they get furry, and Dawn points out that she was like five when that happened, and then she leaves the kitchen. Giles then asks how Dawn is and how Buffy is, and Buffy says, I'm okay, some minutes are harder than others. But she reassures him that she and Dawn are holding up and getting back into a routine, which leads Giles to suggest that she return to her training. But Buffy was thinking of taking a break, easing off for a while. Giles points out as they walk into the living room that she was doing so well. Also, Glory is out there. But Buffy tells him she feels uneasy about training and slaying. She can beat up the demons until the cows come home and then can beat up the cows, but she's not sure she likes what it's doing to her. Giles talks about how she's mastered so much, including strength and resilience. And Buffy says words like that, strength and resilience, are all about hardness and she feels like being the slayer is turning her into stone she was never there for riley like she was for angel and she was terrible to dawn riley left because buffy was shut down and now he's gone and her mom is too and buffy doesn't know if joyce knew how much buffy loved her giles assures her joyce did but buffy says to slay to kill it means being hard on the inside maybe being a perfect slayer means being too hard to love at all and she goes on that she can hardly say the words and then says 
Giles, I love you. Love, 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 love. Giles, it feels strange. He asks how serious she is about this question, and Buffy says 10, serious to the amount of 10. At 3 minutes 31 seconds into the episode, Giles tells her there might be a way. There's a quest, and Buffy says a quest, like finding a grail or something. He tells her it would take a day or two, and Buffy immediately says she can't leave Dawn, not with Glory looking for her. This highlights part of why Glory doesn't seem that powerful to me. While Buffy was grieving over Joyce and Dawn and she were struggling, Glory didn't take advantage of that to attack Buffy or her friends. Now, maybe she didn't know, but that also undercuts the powerful hell god aspect and we should expect glory to be more powerful because of the way the watchers council warned about her and made that distinction between her not being a demon being a god the fact that buffy does ultimately go on the quest further undermines glory as a immediate threat or a significant danger because way back in Checkpoint, when the Watcher's Council came to visit, Glory told her if she didn't cooperate that next time someone she loves would die bloody. And yet Glory has not followed through on that threat. It's possible Glory as a character doesn't really like hurting or killing people. She wants to get her answers another way, but that also doesn't fit that hell god idea and what we've been told about her, how she rained down terror in the other dimension. The other two hell gods were frightened of her, and we saw her torture a monk and throw Buffy around in that first episode. Yet most of the time, as she does in intervention, she will act through her minions. Dawn enters as Giles explains to Buffy about a sacred place in the desert. Buffy tells Dawn she's not leaving her, showing how Buffy has grown since the last couple episodes where she was so disconnected from Dawn, because in a moment we'll see this isn't just about physically protecting Dawn, it's about staying close emotionally. But Dawn tells her if she has to learn, if it'll help her, she should do it. Dawn will be okay. And I really love Dawn here. This is about 10% through the episode at 4 minutes 23 seconds when Dawn tells Buffy to go on the quest. That's usually where we see the story spark or inciting incident that gets the main plot rolling. Here, I don't think this sets off the main plot, but it does set off Buffy's subplot of seeking answers, and it sets the stage for a lot of the main plot. Buffy puts her arm around Dawn, says she loves her, and Dawn responds that she loves Buffy too. And Buffy says, I love you, really love you. And Dawn responds, getting weird. And Buffy says, sorry, but it's important that I tell you, weird love's better than no love. They hug and we cut, and that was a perfect segue, because at 4 minutes 48 seconds in, Spike says, some say it's better than the real thing. He's with Warren, and the camera pans to the Buffy bot. She's in a pleated skirt and a pink sweater and a black leather jacket. Spike says she looks good, but what about a little walk, a little talk, maybe 
via Zippy Cartwheel, and he asks about the rest. Warren hurriedly packs his things as he talks. He assures Spike the bot has tons of knowledge about Buffy's family and friends, also the extra programming, and he sort of giggles the scenario responses and special skills Spike wanted. Spike grabs Warren's arm to keep him from leaving. He's not sure he's a satisfied customer. She looks a little shiny, too plastic. But then the Buffy bot opens her eyes, smiles a very big smile, kisses Spike and smiles again. And Spike says, she'll do. And we go to credits at 5 minutes 45 seconds in. This is the story spark for Spike's subplot, where he tries to resolve his feelings or at least deal with them for Buffy by getting the Buffy bot. And the bot is key to both that subplot and the main plot in this episode. And I also see it as key to the theme of Buffy's subplot of seeking meaning. In this episode, Buffy knows she can fight and kill till the cows come home, but she's afraid of not being able to love. The Buffy bot, in contrast, is programmed to do both. And I feel like that's part of why this episode works so well, despite that not all the plot turns in the main plot are as strong as we sometimes see. We return from credits. Glory, lying on a couch, expresses her frustration, tells the minions that Ben is getting stronger and she's losing control of him. She feels bad that Ben stabbed Jinx, although not too bad because she pokes him in his stomach to illustrate, causing him a lot of pain. Ben's influence on Glory is one possible reason for Glory not going all out and slaughtering Buffy's friends one by one until Buffy gives her the key. But she did slaughter a whole bunch of knights of Byzantium who are human, and that was pretty soon after Checkpoint. Buffy said in Checkpoint, Glory just talked because Buffy had the power. I think that worked for that particular episode when Glory was trying to get Buffy to just tell her about the key. But I don't feel like it's enough to sustain Glory taking this uh, kind of laid back approach for the bulk of the rest of the season. One of the minions reminds her that they did get new knowledge that the key is human. And Glory says it doesn't matter if time runs out and they only have knowledge, they're screwed. And the other minion reminds her she is a god, the sacred Glorificus, and she responds, a god in exile, far from the hellfires of home, and she's sharing a body with the enemy who stabs her minions in their fleshy stomachs. All this is exposition, but it's believable because it comes out through conflict, glory sharing her feelings, her minions trying to deny that things are as bad as she believes they are. But it also adds to that feeling of why isn't glory doing more? Because now we know time is running out. We knew that before, but it reminds us. Glory continues that she's sure the Slayer must have contact with the key, and she instructs the minions to find out who is new in Buffy's life, who's special and different, and orders them to get the key for her, and finishes, if you love me, get it for me. So we have another reference to love 
which so much of this episode is about, I also think this is the story spark or inciting incident for the main plot, although it's far more than a 10% through the episode. But this is what sets off the action plot of Glory more actively seeking the key, which leads to seizing Spike. The scene cuts to Giles driving Buffy to the desert in his red convertible. He opens the trunk to get out supplies. Buffy hopes for water, food, and maybe a compass. And Giles says, how about a book, a gourd, and a bunch of twigs? Buffy responds, I don't think I'll be that hungry. He tells her he needs to do a ritual to transfer his guardianship of her temporarily to a guide. Buffy jokes, Great, there's a guide, but not food and water. Will it lead him to her bleached bones in a week? And Giles answers, Buffy, it takes more than a week to bleach bones. Giles lays out the sticks in a circle and tells her he has to jump in and out of the circle and shake his gourd. And Buffy says, oh, I know this ritual. The ancient shamans were once called to do the hokey pokey and turn themselves around. He sighs and jumps into the circle, then out and shakes the gourd looking very awkward and Buffy says and that's what it's all about at nine minutes 56 seconds in Spike fights with the bot but he easily catches her she says she's not doing her best she can't resist quote the sinister attraction of your cold and muscular body end quote Spike asks if she's afraid of him he says she should be he's very bad and the bot responds you are you're very very bad then she throws him on the bed on his back then rips his shirt open and holds a stake to his chest Spike says you can't do it and Buffy bot responds I could never do it I'm helpless against you you fiend this whole scene is Fun, partly because Buffy and Spike had so much chemistry and the bot is like Buffy but not like her in a very fun way and also because Sarah Michelle Gellar is so amazing I quite frequently catch myself thinking this is really a robot not an actress but the scene also illustrates Buffy's fears that being a slayer requires not loving at all. Here, the bot's love for Spike, though it's programmed, makes her weak against him, though we'll see later it doesn't weaken her in other fights. Spike flips the bot onto the floor, and when he's on top of her, he calls her Buffy and slides down her body and off screen as he gets to her stomach. We're now near a quarter way through intervention. And that's where I look for the first major plot turn, which should come from outside the protagonist, spin the story in a new direction, and raise the stakes. And I don't see a major turn just like that in the main plot here, but there is a shift in each of the storylines we have going, starting with Buffy out in the desert. At 11 minutes, 5 seconds, Giles chants and Buffy walks through the desert. The music for the first Slayer plays. It's kind of a haunting flute music. And eventually Buffy sees a large cat. I didn't look up what kind. I'm thinking a lion, a, a female lion or lioness perhaps. And Buffy says, hello, kitty. She follows the cat across the desert. It shifts to sunset. Buffy sits on a rock and looks around and says, 
I know this place. And it does look very much like what she saw in her dream at the end of season four in the desert where she met the first slayer. At 12 minutes 43 seconds in, Tara tells Xander and Anya that the warning spell around their apartment is all set. It's probably not as good as Willow could do. She's a natural, and in the time Tara's known her, Willow has blown right past Tara. Uh, This leads Xander to ask a bit nervously if Willow can bulk up the spell while he and Anya patrol. Anya doesn't want to patrol. She'd rather watch TV. As they all talk, Dawn sees some earrings on a side table and swipes them. No one notices as Anya talks about the Salem witch trials because there's a documentary that'll be on tonight. Anya says she was there and it wasn't so bad. The real witches did a spell and got away. And she continues, so really, it was only bad for the falsely accused, and, well, they never have a good time. Dawn suggests ordering pizza, and through the windows behind her, we see a minion peering in. The scene cuts to the Buffy, Bot, and Spike lying on a blanket on the floor. The Bot says Spike is evil, and she goes on, it excites me, it terrifies me, I try so hard to resist you, and I can't. Spike says, but she knows he can't hurt her. Again, getting in a little more exposition through conflict and the bot, still sounding very excited, says she thinks he can if she lets him. A nice callback I never noticed before to Riley and the vampires he let bite him. The bot wants Spike to devour her, and she says, Spike, I can't help myself. I love you. And Spike says, you're mine, Buffy. He's looking down at her, into her eyes, and the bot says, should I start this program over? And Spike says, shh, no programs. Don't use that word. Just be Buffy. And Buffy bot smiles that plastic smile. And yet she really does look thrilled. She somehow projects looking genuinely happy, And this is another thing that reflects on Buffy's quest because in season one and some of season two, we never saw Buffy smiling a plastic smile, but she was much more upbeat. She was quirky in a different way from the bot, but she had more fun. And then as the season goes on and everything that happens weighs on her, that gradually changes more and more. And remember in season three, Willow and Xander tell Faith about all the things that happen, kind of joking around. And Faith says, it seems like Buffy needs to find the fun, something Willow echoes. And this Buffy bot is a little bit like Buffy when things are fun. And that echoes that question of what does being a slayer do to Buffy? At 14 minutes, 31 seconds in, Willow exits a school building with another student and she's telling him to be careful with the book she's loaning him. Don't bend the corners. Don't put a coffee mug down on it. Don't spill anything. And this made me think about, I once borrowed a book from someone I worked with. I'm pretty careful with books, but not not to the Willow standard and not to this colleague's standard. And he asked me so many times, well, you're not 
putting a sticky note in there, are you? You're not folding the corners. He was so worried. And I didn't really love the book anyway. It was L. Ron Hubbard's uh, Earth, I think. But I finally just gave it back to him. It was so stressful just to read the book. I, because he also said he very carefully never opens books all the way so that he doesn't crack the spine. And that was what tipped me over the edge. So Willow, in the midst of all this, looks around feeling a little uneasy, maybe sensing but not seeing the minion who is following her. The scene cuts to the bot. She gets out of bed and puts on her leather jacket and walks out of Spike's crypt saying, time to slay. Vampires of the world, beware. Spike mumbles in his sleep but doesn't wake up. At 15 minutes, 22 seconds in, we're back in the desert. It's dark. Buffy dozes on this large rock, then wakes up and sighs. We go back to the bot who runs into Xander and Anya. We get her point of view and see the interior screen that gives her information. And for Xander, it shows friend, carpenter, dates Anya. And for Anya, it shows date Xander, loves money, ex-demon. A short personal update, which might be helpful to some of you if you are publishing any of your own work. I recently published for the Writing as a Second Career series the first three books in additional editions, hardback and large print. So super simple story structure, creating compelling characters from the inside out, and the one-year novelist. But what I didn't realize is by doing both, I could not have them all linked on Amazon's sales pages. So if you go to the Kindle edition or the print softcover edition, you'll see the ebook edition, the paperback, and the hardback, but you won't see the large print. There's a limit to how many versions they'll link because they feel like it's confusing for customers, which I understand, but had I known that, I would have made just one additional edition, the hardback as a large print. So learn from my mistake. Sometime I'm gonna do a post of all my mistakes, so everyone can learn a ton. If you do prefer large print and you haven't read the books yet, you can find links to the large print editions at writingasasecondcareer.com under the menu item books on writing. I also did something fun. I took a research trip to Southern Illinois to check out locations for my new mystery. I went with my sister-in-law, former sister-in-law to different restaurants coffee shops, taverns, uh, the newspaper office, which is on Main Street. And I found it so fun because there were actually stacked up print editions of the newspaper sitting on the door outside the office. We went to the Public Library and the Madison County Archival Library, which will definitely feature in the book. So I've been posting some things about that on my author website, lisalilly.com. Look for the blog menu item and also on Instagram at Lisa M. Lily. So if you want to see any of those photos or learn more about my trip, you can find that there. (laughs) 
So the bot asks Anya, how is your money? And Anya is very pleased and says, good, thanks for asking. They both smile. Buffy says, it's a great night for killing evil things. They ask her about her vision quest, and she gives a response so much like the early AIs. The bot says, I don't understand your question, but thank you for asking. You're my friend and a carpenter. And Xander asks if she's sure she's okay. Just then Spike runs out and the bot says, it's Spike and he's wearing a coat. Spike tries to cover, claiming he and Buffy decided to patrol together. She keeps trying to stand next to him and hold his hand, and he pushes her away and pretends she's trying to fight him, and finally suggests they all split up because the place is crawling with vampires. And Xander says he hasn't seen any, but right then, a bunch of them appear. Xander gets attacked. He tries to fight back. Anya runs around with a stake. The bot fights and so does Spike, but the bot ignores Xander and Anya, which the real Buffy wouldn't do. She'd fight and she'd go protect her friends. Instead, the bot yells at the vampires to stay away from Spike. And as Anya stakes one vamp in the back to get him away from Xander, the bot calls out to Spike, throws him a stake, and he dusts the last one. One, Spike tells Anya and Xander they can go home. The bot agrees she and Spike will do it alone. At 17 minutes, 56 seconds in, Xander and Anya are gone and the bot rolls her shoulders and tells Spike she doesn't get it. She killed the vampires, but now she feels too hot and she asks if she looks hot to him. And he says, always. Buffy bot responds, you better feel me to make sure. And Spike says, I can do that. And they kiss. So a little bit of shades of faith, this idea that slang makes you hungry and horny. Spike clearly believes that uh, or wants that to be the case. As Anya and Xander head out of the cemetery, Xander wishes Giles had told them Buffy was back because Buffy doesn't seem right and he wonders what went on. Anya says Watcher and Slayer things. She thinks probably some ritual with an enchanted prairie dog, which I love because it's so close to what happened. And she says that Buffy fought okay, but Xander points out she never asked about Dawn. At 19 minutes in, they hear moaning and look through the bushes and see Spike and the Buffy bot having sex. Spike is on his back, the bot is straddling him, and the bot says, Oh, Spike, you're the big bad. You're the big bad. At 19 minutes, 8 seconds in, Willow and Tara sit on the couch watching TV and Willow complains about the less satanic than thou judges in the witch trial documentary. Tara suggests changing to the Discovery Channel because it has koala bears. Anya and Xander rush in asking where Dawn is. She's asleep in the bedroom, so Xander then tells them Buffy's gone insane. Tara interjects that before they jump all over Buffy, people act differently when someone dies. And after her mom died, she did things like staying out all night that weren't like her. And Anya says, Buffy's boinking Spike. Willow, glancing at Tara, says Tara's right. They shouldn't judge Buffy. But Tara says, what? Are you kidding? She's nuts. This is mainly for the joke because I think that Tara probably would think that this 
fits what she just said, but it's such a surprise that I buy she says it. Xander says he'll go find Buffy. They need to help her. Someone commented in the movies when people are really out of it, you slap them. And Xander says he won't slap her, but if he sees her straddle spike again, he'll definitely knock himself unconscious. At 20 minutes, 19 seconds in, a fire burns in the desert. Buffy's lying on her side asleep, but she wakes up and asks who's there. And the first Slayer appears. The scenes cuts to a close-up of Spike who's smoking. We only see him from about the chest up. Then the bot stands up into the frame at the noise of someone near the crypt. As Spike buckles his belt, he tells her to hide in the underground part of the crypt and don't come out until he tells her. After she's hidden, he answers the door and says, oh, it's you. Xander tells Spike he saw him with Buffy in the cemetery and Buffy is Xander's friend. She's going through a hard time and Spike's taking advantage. Spike goes with it, saying Buffy's upset about her mom and if she seeks comfort with Spike, who is he to deny her? And Spike says, I'm not a monster. And Xander says, yes, you are a monster. Vampires are monsters. They make monster movies about them. Spike concedes the point Xander grabs him and tells him Buffy has a lot of friends who will do anything to protect her and if it means killing Spike that's a bonus so we're now at the middle of the episode this is where in a strongly structured story we see the protagonist making a major commitment or suffering a major reversal or both and at 21 minutes 36 seconds in, there is a major reversal for Buffy, though she won't find out about it till later. The minions swarm into the crypt. Spike looks at Xander and says, friends of yours? They hit Xander and Spike says, guess not. The minions fight Spike. They get his hands behind his back and haul him away. Much to his confusion, they say they're taking him to glory. They need to keep the key intact for her. And Spike says, key? Who's the key? I'm not the... But they gag him and drag him away. This is so important because... Spike knows that Dawn is the key. And we have been establishing throughout the episode that Spike is a monster. He's a vampire. He's the big bad. He's evil. He's sinister. And they make monster movies about creatures like him. This is also a reversal in Spike's subplot to deal with his feelings for Buffy by getting the bot. Now he's separated from the bot and at far greater risk that she'll be found out because he won't be there to keep her away from the others or cover for her as he did in the cemetery. At 22 minutes, 16 seconds in, the scene cuts to the real Buffy looking through the fire, and she says, I know you, you're the first slayer. But the guide clarifies that this is just a form. She is the guide. Buffy says she has questions about being the slayer. What about love, not just boyfriend love? And I like that Buffy makes that point. This isn't just about Riley going off in a sulk or that she felt disconnected from him. It is about her relationships with everyone. And the guide says, you think you're losing your ability to love. And Buffy responds that she fears being the slayer means losing her humanity. Another reason it's so key that the Buffy bot is in this episode. She is, in a lot of ways, Buffy without her humanity. Although in other ways, I'd argue she retained a little more of 
Buffy Buffy, the fun girl who Buffy was before she became the Slayer. The guide tells Buffy, you are full of love. You love with all your soul. It's brighter than the fire, blinding. That's why you pull away from it. And Buffy says, I'm full of love. I'm not losing it. And the guide tells her, only if you reject it. Love is pain and the Slayer forges strength from pain. And she goes on and tells Buffy to love, give, forgive, and says, quote, love will bring you to your gift, end quote. And Buffy says, what? So this is a sort of midpoint reversal for Buffy's quest to seek meaning. She finally got to the guide, but now nothing is making sense. The scene cuts to Spike's crypt the bot emerges calling for him and says she waited but she missed him this was nicely set up by the april and warren story where he told april to wait and she set out on quite a quest to find him the bat goes right past xander who's on the floor unconscious not even noticing him in the next scene, Willow opens the door to a knock, thinking it's Xander, but it's the bot, and she says Spike's gone. Willow takes her out on the balcony so they don't wake Dawn and Tara and asks if Xander found her. The Buffy bot's interior screen has a smiley on the right side that says make Spike happy under it and also a magnifying glass icon and under that it says locate Spike. For Willow, it says best friend gay in parentheses 1999 to present, which good with computers. The bot tells Willow she doesn't know where Xander is. When she came out of the tunnel, Spike was gone and she needs to find him. Willow asks her about sleeping with Spike and the bot says no to Willow's relief, but then clarifies she had sex with Spike and she's sorry if it bothers Willow and she goes on, quote, you're my best friend, end quote. Willow says, I, I am and I always will be no matter what you do. But Willow is trying to figure out what happened and she says she thinks that maybe when Buffy was grieving, that made her feel weak and Spike is not like that. This is interesting because it reflects Buffy's fears about being the slayer that caring and loving are somehow opposite to being strong. I'm not sure I think Willow would believe that that was Buffy's issue. I think she would more go back to Tara's point about in the depths of grief, Buffy's making poor decisions. But anyway, Willow ends with, so Buffy just this one time did something crazy. The bot rushes to assure her it wasn't just once, it was many times in lots of positions and she offers to make sketches. Willow tells her something is seriously wrong. She was with a vampire before, but Angel had a soul. A nice way to quickly bring in the Angel backstory, also through conflict. And the bot responds, Angel's lame. His hair goes straight up and he's bloody stupid. Willow is now really confused, but she says, okay, she just wants to help. And the bot repeats, you're my best friend. Willow agrees again. Again, clearly finding this stranger and stranger. And then the bot says, you're recently gay. Xander interrupts banging on the door. He wakes up Anya and Tara. As the bot and Willow join them, Xander says, Buffy. And the bot says, yes, that's me. 
Xander explains about the minions taking Spike to glory, and she says, we have to get him back. And Xander says, so how do we find them? Everyone looks at the bot who looks around and then says, I fight with weapons. Xander says, yes, they should go get weapons at Buffy's. He has nothing good here. And this is also a great example of a very human thing to kind of fill in the blanks. If you've ever had a conversation where you don't quite hear everything someone said, or where the person just doesn't seem quite right, but maybe we don't notice right away because we know who they are and we fill things in to make it all make sense. Also, Xander has no reason, at least not yet, to think this isn't really Buffy. There's another explanation, which is that something happened on this quest that has thrown her off. And we cut back to Buffy at 26 minutes, 28 seconds through. She doesn't understand what does love leading to her gift mean. And now the guide says, death is your gift. And Buffy says, death. And the guide responds, is your gift. And Buffy says, Okay, no, death is not a gift. My mother just died. I know this. If I have to kill demons because it makes the world a better place, then I kill demons. But it is not a gift to anybody. But the guide responds, your question has been answered. She disappears and Buffy looks around confused. I see that as the climax of Buffy's search for meaning, the subplot for that within this episode, Buffy has lost or failed in her quest, at least from her perspective. The minions drag Spike to Glory, who says, what the hell is that and why is its hair that color? She is lounging in a blue sparkly slip dress When they tell her he is the key, she circles him and says, really? That's fantabulous. But she sniffs him and says, and impossible. She goes on to tell him the key is pure. Spike is a vampire. And lesson number one, vampires are impure. So adding to that idea that Spike, because he is a vampire by definition, is also impure. So not just evil and a monster, but impure. Building up what a big deal it is for Spike to do what he will do in the rest of the episode. Spike tells her, yes, he's impure, big mistake, let him go. And Glory says, you can't even brain suck a vampire, which is a great way to explain why she doesn't do that to Spike. And she says he's completely useless. But the minions insist the Slayer protected him above all others and treated him as precious. So now Glory's intrigued. She calls him precious. She wants to know what the deal is. Spike tells her to sod off. And she punches him hard enough to send him flying across the room. He hits the wall. Great foreshadowing for what Spike will do later. And it probably gives him the idea. She now grabs him and drags him to his feet by his lip, then flings him onto the bed on his back, climbs on top of him and straddles him, much like the bot did. But she is looking for something inside and digs her fingers into his stomach as he screams. At 28 minutes, 52 seconds in, the bot and her friends enter the summer's home and the bot says, this is my house. Xander gets out weapons. Willow asks where to find Glory, and the bot says she's a god. She wants the key. And Xander says, yes, so we should look. And the bot says, I don't know. Why are you all looking at me? 
This is a literal question from the bot. She's not upset, but Xander takes it as more of an emotional response from Buffy and says she's right. They can't expect her to know everything, and the bot says they need to rescue Spike. Willow, who wants to talk about Buffy, tells her she thinks there are more weapons upstairs, and Anya also suggests Buffy change into something more fighty. After the bot leaves, the friends talk about her acting odd. Willow asks if it's intervention time, given the way she wants to go rescue Spike, and Xander agrees they need a sane Buffy. This is a reference to the title of the episode, but also a callback to that intervention in the library when Xander saw Buffy kissing angel in season three and everyone found out he was back now the real buffy enters wearing jeans a beige sweater and boots exactly what she wore when she went on the quest and willow says uh that was quick thinking buffy changed her clothes and buffy says referring to the quest didn't seem like it to me death is my gift and she blows some air out of her mouth in frustration and this non sequitur to them fits with how odd Buffy's been acting and I see this as the falling action part of Buffy's subplot where we see a little bit of how she is feeling after it her quest for meaning certainly continues through the season but I do see it as a full subplot that resolves in this episode because it does have a beginning middle and end Xander now says they need to talk Buffy quickly asks if Dawn's okay they assure her yes and then Xander tells her they care about her they're worried about the way she's acting and the things she's doing and Ani says it's wrong and Willow says wait this shouldn't be about blame. And Buffy says, blame? There's blame now? Willow assures her no blame, only love. And Anya says they're just thrown by her having sex with Spike. And Buffy says the who, wedding how with huh? Anya says that's denial, which comes before anger. Buffy, getting very angry, says she's not sleeping with Spike. And Anya says, anger. Xander tells her no one's judging. It's understandable. Spike is, quote, strong and mysterious and sort of compact but well-muscled, end quote. And Buffy responds, I'm not having sex with Spike, but I'm starting to think that you might be. Xander says they saw her, her and Spike. Just then, at 31 minutes, 12 seconds in, the bot enters the room, still in her sweater and skirt, and says, Spike's mine. Who's straddling Spike? And Buffy says, oh my God. Xander responds, and so say all of us. So earlier I said I had a short personal update. I guess it's actually fairly long because I have one other thing. I am getting near finished with the first draft of a nonfiction book. Working title is Fiction Writing as Your Second Career. And it's full of information, tips, and encouragement for writers who are juggling another full-time or more than full-time job or pursuit or profession while they are writing. If you have anything you really want to see covered, if you're a writer in that spot, please email me at buffystorypod at gmail.com. I'd love to hear what you would want in that type of book. And then once I get that draft finished, I am going back to the revisions on The Forgotten Man. It has a title. Now, this is that sixth QC Davis mystery that I did the research trip for. 
It involves two cold cases. One is the murder of main character Quill's sister, who was killed before Quill was born, and the murder of another little girl who was found with Quill's sister. It happened in the 1980s, and at that time, the family lived in Edwardsville. Quill is very much a Chicagoan. Because I love the city so much, I enjoy setting it here, but she was born in Edwardsville. That's where everything happened, and that's why I took that trip there to scout locations. So I will let you know about my progress on that. You can find the previous QC Davis Mysteries on my author website, lisalily.com, if you are interested. And you can also get a free QC Davis novella there. Just look for the novella No Good Plays, and there's a link there where you can sign up for the free download. The Buffy bot now says to Buffy, say, look at you. You look just like me. We're very pretty. And again, the bot looks so happy. And it's nice that she is not upset by another Buffy. And she seems to pretty easily let go of that somewhat jealous moment of Spike being with someone else. This is a Buffy whose default is fun and joy. And this is also a Buffy who can not just love, but can do her Slayer duties without the weight of how complicated it is and all the emotions that go with it because the bot doesn't have those complexities. Xander, in a callback to the replacement where there were two Xanders, says he knows what this is. They're both Buffy, but Buffy says no, she's a robot. She acts just like that girlfriend bot that guy Warren made. You guys couldn't tell me apart from a robot? And the bot says, oh, I don't think I'm a robot. Which is interesting too, because it seemed like April did know that, and the bot does not. And I don't know if Warren has evolved his robot programming skills, or if it's because Spike told the bot to be Buffy. The others speculate that Spike probably made the bot too, and Buffy tries to cut them off before they can talk about her being a sex bot, but Xander says he already has the visual. The bot reminds them they're forgetting the important thing. Glory has Spike, and she's going to harm him. And now Buffy looks panicked. She says they need to kill him before he can tell about Dawn, and she knows where to start looking. At 32 minutes, 17 seconds, the scene cuts to Spike. He hangs by his chained wrists from the ceiling. He's bloody. He's exhausted and bruised and says it's enough. He'll tell Glory who the key is. And we cut to a commercial. So we're near the three-quarter point of the episode. This is where I look for the last major plot turn. It should grow out of that midpoint and take the story in yet another new direction. And we have that here, that reversal where the minions got Spike. And now growing from that is Spike reaching this crossroads where he either has to tell Glory or we don't know what the other option is, but he comes up with one because he can't hold out any longer and he can't stall any longer, though he'll try for a moment. 
We come back from the commercial. Our friends stand in that field where Buffy killed the Sobek Cobra demon, and she says Glory must live somewhere near there. Giles, staring at the bot, says she's quite extraordinary. The bot calls him Giles, and he says, Giles, Spike didn't even bother to program my name properly. Buffy tells Skirt Girl they're not there to save Spike, but to kill him. He knows who the key is, and the bot readily agrees because Spike is evil and goes, on but quote you should see him naked I mean really end quote and I also wonder is she willing to kill Spike because he told her to be Buffy or did Warren program her that realistically and did Spike want him to be that realistic about her slayer duties and this too suggests perhaps you can be the slayer and love at least if you are a robot Buffy puts them in teams and tells Giles Giles to take the bot Glory gives Spike a drink of water in a soft voice, asks if he can talk now, and then she smashes the glass in his face and says he's a very needy little bloodsucker and it's not very attractive. And she tells him to start talking. Spike does, speaking slowly as he twists his wrists in the chains. He claims it's someone on TV, someone who runs that game show where they guess what stuff costs. The minions get very excited, saying it's Bob Barker. They'll go get Bob Barker. And Glory stands really angry and says it's not Bob Barker. He's old and the key is new to this world. So this raises the question of does Glory not know that the monks can alter the world? I mean, they made Dawn 14. Why couldn't they make her 30 or 50 or 60 or Bob Barker? So it seems Glory must not know that because she's so focused on who is new to the world. Glory says the vampire is lying and Spike laughs, tells her it was fun, and guess what? He's not telling her Jack. She'll never get her key because she might be strong, but in this world she's an idiot. And Glory says, I'm a god. And Spike responds, the god of what? Bad home perms? She tells him to shut up, but he goes on calling her a prancing lightweight. He says the Slayer will kick her skanky, lopsided ass back to the dimension she came from, and he calls her a cheap, whorish fashion victim ex-god. He goes on until she punches him harder than before, and those chains break. He flies into the wall again, says to himself, good plan, Spike, and staggers away. At 35 minutes 47 seconds, Glory tells her minions to go get him. More of why she seems ineffective in the episode we saw again in Checkpoint that she could get across the room in less than a second. You didn't even see her. So why not just zip over to Spike and grab him back? He's not a big threat to her, but she wanted him. So why send those minions? Spike struggles and pulls the elevator doors open. He falls in because there's no elevator card there. He lands on top of one that's going down, opens a trapdoor, and falls into the elevator car as the minions run down the stairs. This starts the climax of the main plot where the opposing forces have their final clash and resolve the conflict. Technically, it probably starts when Buffy comes in, though Buffy never goes up directly against Glory. Spike gets his feet in the elevator as the minions reach the ground 
floor, but just then the door from outside flies open. Buffy and Xander storm in. Buffy's got her hair in a ponytail like the bot, but still wearing jeans. She has a t-shirt on. The bot has an axe. She's still in her skirt and pink sweater. Spike has slid down the wall on the floor of the elevator. He's barely alive. There's a huge fight. A minion pins Giles. He calls for Buffy, and both Buffy and the bot run to him. The bot gets there first and pulls the minion off. The minion fights her, and the bot flies back, hits an electrical panel, shorts out, and crumbles to the floor. Buffy keeps fighting, and finally all the minions run back upstairs, not clear at all what's happening. So for this episode, Buffy has prevailed in the conflict against Glory, who acts through the minions. At 37 minutes, 46 seconds in, the falling action starts where we tie up loose ends from the main plot and resolve subplots and sometimes continue season arcs. Glory is extremely angry. The minions insist the Slayer was everywhere, that she and her friends are lethal fighters, and they may have been demons. And you could sort of see why in all the adrenaline rush, they didn't realize there were two Buffies. Glory asks where her vampire is. The camera shifts to the hallway, and we hear the minions scream. Now we go back to the Spike and Buffy bot plot. At 38 minutes, 4 seconds, Willow works on the bot at the magic box. She's got a panel open. The bot's head is on the table with her head turned sideways. Tara looks at Buffy and says, is it weird? And Buffy says, oh yeah, at least it's not a very good copy. She lays her head on the table facing the bot. Of course, they look exactly alike. And she says, I mean, look at it. And Willow says, uh, yeah. Giles and Xander come in, they dump Spike in his crypt, and they don't know if he said anything about Dawn being the key or not. He was too badly beaten to talk. Anya points out even if he could talk, Spike would just lie about it. Buffy says she needs to know she and Dawn have to get out of town if Spike told. So Giles says he's sure they're all safe and Don says sure and Spike built robot Buffy to play checkers with and Tara says it sounded convincing when I thought of it. Willow finally figured out what's wrong with the bot. It's an easy fix, not that she would fix it, but Sander says he feels a little bad for Spike. He was beat up so badly and he gets his best toy taken away too. And Buffy says, Xander, please don't be suggesting what I'd have to kill you for suggesting. He agrees with her, but says the guy was so thrashed. A great setup for for the next scene. So this last scene tied up the loose ends of the glory seeking the key action plot. And now we will wrap the subplot about Spike and his feelings for Buffy and the bot. At 39 minutes, 45 seconds, Spike lies on his back on his coffin covered in bruises encrusted blood his shirt open the bot walks in the door perky and cheery she's still skirt girl and says spike you're covered in sexy wounds he can barely move his lips to speak and mutters yeah he feels real sexy and asks where she's been and the bot says she fell and got confused but willow fixed her and she adds that willow is gay spike asks why they let her go and she says they got confused 
too, then asks if he wants to ravage her now, but he tells her he needs a minute. The bot asks why he let Glory hurt him, and he tells her Glory wanted to know who the key was. The bot turns to go tell Glory that way Spike will be safe, but he yells at her no and then coughs and he says you can't ever glory never finds out just a pause in this very dramatic scene warren doesn't know who the key is so if spike had really thought about it unless he told the bot this which i doubt the buffy bot could not know that but i can forgive him for not thinking about that in the moment and i and i buy that he wouldn't so i don't feel like the writers are cheating with that so after he tells her she can't ever tell glory the bot says why and he says because buffy the other not so pleasant buffy anything happened to dawn it'd destroy her couldn't live with her being in that much pain i'd let glory kill me first i nearly bloody did as he speaks the bot's expression changes and we realize this is buffy pretending to be the buffy bot and Once he finishes, she kisses him. It's fairly quick, but as they pull apart, his expression changes and he looks quizzical and we can tell he knows it's Buffy. The two stare at each other for a moment. He moves closer to kiss her again, but she pulls away and starts walking out, but very slowly, not angry the way she would have in any of the prior episodes. When she's almost at the door, Spike says, and my robot. And Buffy says, the robot is gone. The robot was gross and obscene. He tries to protest and she says, don't. That thing, it wasn't even real. She reaches for the door but then pauses without turning back to look at him and says, what you did for me and Dawn, that was real. And now she looks at him and says, I won't forget it. Finally, she leaves, shutting the door behind her, not slamming it, and he looks after her. And that is the end of the episode. So that is it for the breakdown, other than foreshadowing, which includes spoilers. If you found the way I look at plot helpful and want to try this approach for your own writing, you can download story structure worksheets for free at writingasasecondcareer.com slash worksheets. Also, if you want to hear more about intervention and you're a patron, you can listen to a bonus intervention episode where I compare and contrast Spike's and Warren's motives for getting a girlfriend bot and the results, and also question whether Riley was in some ways a sort of boyfriend bot for Buffy and what all of that says about relationships. If you're not a patron and you'd like to hear that episode, you can join for as little as a dollar a month. You'll get lots of bonus content. Plus, you can listen to every regular podcast episode two days before it releases. Go to patreon.com slash Lisa M. Lily, that's L-I-S-A, Amazon Marie, L-I-L-L-Y. If you're not staying for foreshadowing and spoilers, thank you so much for listening. Come back in two weeks for Tough Love, where Glory finally acts against Buffy attacking someone close to her.
And we are back for foreshadowing, which includes spoilers. Dawn swiping those earrings on the table. Nothing will happen with that this season, but in season six, she'll keep stealing things and stealing the wrong amulet. I think it's an amulet or talisman sets off the musical episode once more with feeling because this demon thinks she has called to him and it creates great clashes between her and Anya. Another Dawn issue in this episode, I like Dawn. She and Buffy are connecting. She's supportive of Buffy. Buffy expresses her concern for Dawn. And then in Tough Love, that's where Buffy is angry at Dawn for skipping school and the school threatens to take Dawn away. They are both awful to each other again it's as if this episode and that connection in forever didn't happen of course there is the spike in buffy relationship she isn't kissing him in a romantic or sexual way but she chooses to kiss spike and from here to the end of the season she will treat him differently and he'll say, I'm a monster, but you treat me like a man. But then in season six, they end up involved. Buffy feels terrible about herself because of it, despite that we do see here that Spike has done this thing for Buffy, for Dawn. And despite that, in the beginning of the season, in six, he's still there helping Dawn. But we go back to treating Spike as a monster. And, and season six makes clear that he is still a monster. So a lot of that is foreshadowed by the repetition in this episode that he's evil, he's bad, he's a monster. That's what vampires are. There's also some foreshadowing of Xander confronting Spike, threatening to kill Spike. It sets up season six where Xander and Spike are at odds quite a bit. But in another way, it's it's contrary to his attitude because he becomes really angry at Buffy in season six when he finds out she was sleeping with Spike. Here, he is actually willing to entertain the idea that Buffy has sex with Spike because she's in a bad place, she's grieving, she's struggling. And then in season six, when you can argue she's been through so much more, not just Joyce's death, which she never gets to truly process, but her own death and coming back and all of that. And he doesn't seem to have any sympathy for Buffy. The Buffy bot foreshadows a number of things. One is that she'll come back in the last episode, The Gift. So we know now Willow was able to fix her. And she comes back in season six in the beginning. But more significantly, she foreshadows some of Buffy's breakdown in Weight of the World. When she says, I don't know, why are you all looking at me like that? The bot is just speaking literally. She doesn't know and she's asking for information. She doesn't understand humans that well. Why are they staring at her? But that could so much be Buffy who always has to have the answers. And when Dawn is taken in the episode before Weight of the World, Buffy goes into that catatonic state. She simply cannot handle it. And this 
instance with the Buffy bot foreshadows that. And of course, we have foreshadowing of Tara and Willow and their fight in tough love over magic, because here Tara talks about Willow blowing right past her in terms of her power. And that also foreshadows many season six conflicts and sets up that Willow has the power to bring Buffy back at the beginning of season six. Finally, this episode does so much to foreshadow Spike's devastation when he cannot protect Dawn in the gift. We see here he is willing to let himself be killed. I have no doubt if he hadn't gotten away from Glory, he would have let her kill him rather than tell about Dawn. So when he goes up onto that tower and he is there to protect Dawn and he fails and then Buffy has to dive into that fissure between the universes to save everyone and save Dawn and she dies, Spike is devastated. So that is it for foreshadowing and spoilers. Thank you once again for listening and a special thank you to the patrons who support the show. Come back in two weeks for the next episode, season five, episode 19, Tough Love, where Buffy withdraws from college and Glory hits close to home. You can listen to back episodes of Buffy and the Art of Story at lisalilly.com slash Buffy Story or lisalilly.com slash YouTube. Comment on the episodes or connect with me on Instagram or Twitter at Lisa M. Lilly or by visiting the Buffy and the Art of Story Facebook page or email your comments to BuffyStoryPod at gmail.com. Find book editions of Buffy and the Art of Story at LisaLilly.com slash Buffy Books. Music for this episode was written and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman LLC, copyright 2022. All rights reserved. Thank you.